0: So let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Father, we come before your throne of grace today. The honor and glory is yours as we humble ourselves and as we seek your word, as we seek more truth, as we seek to understand what those things you have for us that we may not have understood before and maybe we just uh, need a little refresher from your word. And that's what this feast is about, to refresh us and strengthen us in our walk. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with us as we study your word. May the words be yours and may we learn and may we rejoice through this feast as we are called by your name, as we are called from the world to become one of yours. So in Yahshua's name we pray, hallelujah. And then you may be seated. And on behalf of Yahweh's Restoration Ministry, you're welcome to the feast, the second day of the feast. A hearty welcome to everyone here in, in person and also live streaming around the world. Uh, it's a it's a blessing to be able to include all those who have sincere desire, no matter where they might be. You know, uh, when the lockdown came, we had some saying, well, I think we just shut down. I don't think it's it just, you know, it's not worth it. I said, no, we're not shutting down. One way or another, we're getting Yahweh's word out, we're going to worship. So... Having been involved in live streaming for like three decades, we, uh, we just keep on going, not missing a beat, and it's a little hard sometimes to talk to an empty hall, and uh, the chairs don't respond very well with a nod or a smile, you know, but when you're doing, talking to a TV camera, it's the same thing, so it wasn't any big deal for us, but uh, we did miss the fellowship, and you do miss the fellowship, you miss the fellowship of the interaction, and that's uh, so important. So we're glad to have you here and interacting with us and learning and growing together and and, uh, having a great time. We've come to keep Yahweh's feast as commanded. Yahshua promised kingdom rewards one day for those who are obedient in his word. Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man shall come in glory of his father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. By our works. They know us. By our works, we are rewarded, positioned in the kingdom. Works is praxis in the Greek and means an ongoing deed, like observing his statutes regularly, which you know we are called to do and what we do do. We get spiritual uplifting when we come together in Yahweh's name. And getting here can be a challenge. We admit it. Every year it's a challenge, it seems, for many, for most. You may have faced personal trials from family, from friends, from work. From school and now the world in general is starting to push back you know uh, the, the attacks on the bible we're, we're aware are becoming more and more and so um, you know we again we have a leg up because we've been through this you know this is our walk we're we're constantly uh, looked negatively at because of what we believe they don't understand it if they did they would uh, be uh, ashamed of some of the things they'd say to us but you know, we just keep on going, and uh, that's what it's all about, to get the rewards that come with a faithful life. It's nothing new. In today's parlance, we uh, we live best practices for Yahweh, and that's the way it has to be, and that's the way it'll always be. For the believer, Matthew 5.10 tells us, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Acts 14.22, we read that, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom. Now, how can we deny these things? How can, we, how can we expect it to be an easy downhill ride? It's not going to be. So we take it in stride. We do the best we can with, with the spirit of Yahweh working with us and with his help and with our faith. When you come to the point that you give your life to Yahweh, putting him before everything becomes a necessity, no matter what. Nothing else matters. And we weren't going to miss the Feast of Tabernacles for anything, uh, we had to, like I said, make do in the earlier feast with what we had. We didn't know what was going on so much, and so we did what we had to do. But uh, this, is the, this is the climax. This is the feast of all feasts, you know, as far as coming together, because we come together as a pilgrim, come, came together uh, out, in, uh, out in Egypt. Israel traveled to the feast. Psalm 118, 6 says, When Yahweh's on my side, what do I fear what man can do to me? No one can take away your crown, brethren. The only way you can lose your crown is you yourself. If I do it to myself, and we don't please to live to please man in any way. It's tough sometimes. We, we take a stand and we don't back down. Yahweh won't fail us if we don't fail him and we are his family, so... After months of planning and preparation, here we are, rejoicing. We have such a nice group here. You know, I I was telling several that uh, when we went online, you know, a lot of groups, they did in-person services. They weren't uh, attuned to electronic delivery like we were, electronic means, and we noticed a big bump up in interest. More new names than I've ever seen still coming in. So it was a blessing in disguise. To have to do what we did, but uh, Yahweh did bless us. We leave the depressing world. We come here to taste of the kingdom. The kingdom, that's really what the feast is about. The millennial kingdom. And the command is in Leviticus 23.40. And you shall take you on the first day, the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice. It's a command to rejoice at his feast. Seven days, Leviticus 23.40. Why should we be joyful? What what is the reason to rejoice? For the promise of salvation. For one thing, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. Psalm 118, 15. If we continue to be faithful one day, we can really rejoice before Yahweh's throne. One day we'll receive that crown of life. James 1 talks about Revelation 2, and that's exactly what the feast pictures, the millennial kingdom of Yahweh. Think about it, to praise Yahweh every day, like the angels do all day long, praising him. That in itself is reason enough to be here observing his feast with joy. The feast is a type of the kingdom. And here we learn what it's like to be with brethren of the same mind. And that's hard to find out in this world. People say, all the time, do you have a group near me? I'm up in... New York, I'm over in Arizona, I can't find anybody. They just hunger to have fellowship. It's so important to the spirit and to be able to share things with other brethren and and get some feedback, you know, on some of the issues that we have that they might have, might have a solution to it. So they're of the same mind and their eyes focused on Yahweh too. We, we, uh, We live for him, not on this passing world. So we come out to a feast of Yahweh for seven, actually eight days when you count the last great day. And that's what Yahweh expects of us. We come out in a physical sense, of course, because tabernacles is a pilgrim feast, one of the three in the scriptures that we're supposed to travel to be there. Well, in Egypt, Israel couldn't keep a feast in Cairo or Alexandria, both worldly places. They had to go out to the wilderness and tabernacle. Exodus 5, verse 1 says, Yahweh didn't have in mind a resort or a hotel in the middle of Gotham City either, as some groups do. We've always been out in the wilderness. We always go to a campground. We used to always look for a place, you know, that's remote. Um, one time, Eldorandi and I traveled all the way. Sometimes it, it just seemed to be more and more it was harder and harder to find a, a place that worked for us. So we went almost to Virginia and uh, thought it sounded good online. Wow, this, this, this might be the place. Found out it was not the place. I mean, the campground was split by a highway. And, and uh, no, this isn't going to work. And the meeting hall wasn't that great either. It was it's like downtown. So, no, that one didn't work. So we kept looking. In fact, Randy used to spend half a year looking and trying to arrange for a feast to go to. And we did this for, what, 15 years, 17 years, 18? Yeah, and uh, we're so finally we said, you know what? Why are we killing ourselves so much? We could have a feast right here, you know. And so... We, uh, we planned for that and we worked toward it and now it's, it's a reality. But uh, we come and we disconnect from the world and its influences. And you can't taste of the promised land by staying in Egypt or taking Egypt with you. What is a tabernacle? In Hebrew, it's a mishkan, a mishkan. And it means a residence, a dwelling place. And we're here at the Feast of Dwelling Places. So we come out into a dwelling place. It's not our home. Being here is key to the observance, of course. Another Hebrew word for tabernacle is o O h e l, meaning a tent, a dwelling, a habitation. When the scriptures speak of the feast of tabernacles, it's the word sukkah, which is a synonym with uh, mishkan and o-l, meaning a booth, a cottage, a hut, as of entwined boughs of trees. The implicit meaning in all of these terms is a temporary living place. And that just tells us that this world is temporary. Our temporary living place in this world and not our permanent home. We don't make it so comfortable that we live for it. We live for another home, another place. It's on the design of a tabernacle when Yahweh chose to interrelate with Israel in the wilderness. The only way you can know Yahweh correctly is to practice the one and only way he prescribes. There's no other way to do it. You can't make your own faith. You can't make your own rules. You do it his way. The way that he approves, and clearly in the instruction manual, you know, his word, Yahweh expects total fidelity of devotion to him and his word. And we may sometimes fall short. We're not perfect. None of us is, but we, we get up, we repent, we try again. But that's what he wants of his true worshipers, and to grow from that, to learn from it. Whenever you make a mistake, you know, you learn from it. Hit your thumb with a hammer, you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. That kind of hurts. And so we learn by our mistakes, and reveals his salvation plan through the teaching and observing of his feast days. In uh, Ezekiel 20, verse 10, uh, in, in, this, in this chapter, Yahweh desired to be an intimate, personal, heavenly father to his people. But what he found in Israel was rebellion. So he says, Wherever I caused, wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt, verse 10, and brought them into the wilderness... And what was his priority? Why did he do so? And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man lives, Uh, if a man do, he shall even live in them. So here at the feast, we live his statutes. That was the purpose. He brought them out. What are his statutes? His code of ethics, his own personal code of ethics. Is he going to do away with those in the New Testament? Do away with his own code of ethics? I think not. I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments. So here we are, living in his statutes, and hopefully from here on then we have a better idea of what that means as we go back out into our homes. It has a dual meaning, physically now and for eternity later. Moreover, verse 12, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am Yahweh that sanctifies or sets them apart. His Sabbath sets us apart as Yahweh's people, and they're important to do that. We don't mesh with the world because we're set apart, and that's just axiomatic of following the word. The uh, Sabbaths, plural, include not just the weekly, of course, but all the Sabbaths, and it's uh, it's a term, a metaphor for feasts in many ways in the scriptures, the Sabbath, Appointed times, the Moedim, connotes assembling. These are appointed times for coming together, coming together in worship. The Sabbaths were a sign that Yahweh set Israel apart. And typically the convert comes into the truth when he first recognizes the importance of the weekly Sabbath. Maybe you were that way. Maybe that's how you came to the faith that you believe now because you said, wait a minute, I'm not worshiping on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day, fifth commandment, fourth commandment. Whoa, fourth commandment. Uh, I'm not worshiping on the fourth commandment. Something's wrong here. And you start searching, you start looking, and uh, you ask the minister, and he said, it doesn't make any difference. We keep all days of Sabbath and all that. But uh, no, I, I need to follow the Sabbath. It's specific in the feast, in the well, the feast and also the commandments. So from there you learn. You learn about the Sabbath. And then maybe you learn about the feast days. Then, of course, the name. That was important. Um, my wife tells the story when she was with the uh, Church of the Brethren, she says uh, the minister mentioned Yahweh's name. It's his name, he said, name of God. And she says, if that's his name, why aren't we using it? And then she got the familiar dodge. Well, it's not that important, you know. He can, he's got many names, and you know the old, the old stuff, the old man-made arguments. But uh, she was convicted. Her mother was convicted, and, and from there, there on, it was history. But uh, Yahweh gave His word, His Sabbath, His name so that we might know him, just as Israel did. The same Sabbaths that were part of the old covenant are alive and well in the new covenant. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find any other Sabbaths or feasts given. Nowhere do we find that Passover or unleavened bread have been usurped by some other holiday in the scriptures, replaced by something else. The same goes for Pentecost, where we find this, the, uh, the apostles observing in Acts 2 and Pentecost. That's one of them. It somehow doesn't click when you tell people Pentecost is one of the feast days, and you observe that, or at least you acknowledge it in your, in your worship. Yeah, I guess we do. You know, I, I never really thought about that. But then they have a bunch of others too that kind of overflow and uh, kind of wash over it. Yahshua kept them all. We don't find anything in Scripture that replaces the feast of of the seven feasts that Yahweh gives us. Nothing to take the place of trumpets, atonement, or feast of tabernacles. Nowhere from Matthew 1 through Revelation 22 do we find the holy days commanded to to Israel have been changed or replaced by other holidays. It just ain't there. In fact, over and over we find the apostles as well as Joshua himself keeping Yahweh's seven feast days. People don't realize that. Your own savior kept the feast days. They never think about that under the new covenant, by the way. So, what's changed? Well, as far as the commanded holy days go, nothing has changed. Paul in Galatians six sixteen calls the new covenant assembly the Israel of Yahweh. 1 Corinthians ten, he said, their lessons are for us. What's changed? Their experiences, their examples are for us. Read the first eleven verses of Revelation. I'm sorry, of First uh, Corinthians ten. And see how Israel is no different from Yahweh's people today, the Israel of Yahweh today. So we are spiritual Israelites, not some radical movement called the church with its own holidays and worship far removed from Yahweh's word. Yahweh made a promise with Abraham that his seed would cover the earth like the sand of the sea. In his parable of uh, Luke 13, Yahshua said, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, you know, the patriarch. It's kind of basically started the family with him. Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom and you yourselves thrust out. We don't want to be there thrust out. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. Paul wrote that those who are of faith are blessed along with faithful Abraham, Galatians 3.9. Not apart from Abraham, but with Abraham with Abraham key importance clearly then what was required of Abraham required of the prophets and the patriarchs is the same today same today a few tweaking you know the the sacrifices are different but Yahshua's the sacrifice so that principle is still there that hasn't been done away it's something we need to heed and, and they're not two separate paths to salvation or three or four or five whatever there's only one one way enter the one way you enter the kingdom by keeping Yahweh's word, his statutes and judgments, the Sabbath, and the same thing that all men through all the ages are required to do. Many discount the clean food laws by using Peter's vision of the sheep. You know, the animals came down in uh, Acts 10. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Master, I've never eaten anything unclean. This was 10 years after Yahshua was resurrected. Peter never got the message, apparently, never got the memo that, uh, hey, you can eat anything now, have a ham sandwich. He said, no, no way. He is one of the big-name apostles, and he never had a clue that anything had changed, because nothing had. He never got a message that now you can go ahead and have at it. Eat anything unclean, snakes, alligators, whatever you want to eat, you just go ahead. Not for 10 years, and he's still keeping the word. In verse 28 is the purpose Yahweh used this scene. Peter learned he was not to call any man common or unclean. See, he he used these animals to teach him a very important, unforgettable lesson. Unforgettable lesson. It was a lesson taught by using something tangible to shock Peter into a truth he wasn't getting because he had a bit of a prejudice problem, as we read. Some prophets like Jeremiah often conveyed spiritual lessons by tangible objects, what we call object lessons. And it makes it stick when you, when you merge, when you uh, uh, see that lesson come to pass. And, you know, you, we have different kinds of memory. We have uh, memory through our hearing. We have memory through seeing. This is a memory through seeing and We even talked about it yesterday in the two sticks of uh, Ezekiel 37 where Judah and Ephraim would come together one day in the kingdom. That's an object lesson. The prophet Jeremiah was the master of the object lesson. Here are just five ways he used them. He used it throughout his book. Chapter 13, he was instructed to take his loincloth and bury it. Then Yahweh said to dig it up and found it was rotten. What was the lesson? He learned that idolatrous worship is good for nothing. Object lesson of chapter 18. He visits a potter's house and learns that Yahweh plans and shapes the future of his people like a potter molds and shapes the clay into something useful. Chapter 19. Yahweh instructs Jeremiah to buy a flask and then break it in the sight of the people to signify that he's breaking the nation because of its sin. Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah has a vision of Two baskets of figs, one good and one bad. The good figs represent the people who will be restored to the land, while the bad figs represent the leaders who are going to be judged by Yahweh. And then in chapter 27, he's told to preach while wearing a yoke of an ox. And this foretold that the nation will be carried into captivity, like an ox is, you know, bound to that yoke. So allow me in the tradition of Jeremiah to use objects for a lesson to illustrate my point today, here are some tools for which the carpenter meets proper construction standard: the level, mine's a little bit warped. I wouldn't use this one, <laughs> but somebody stepped on it or drove on it or something. It's the only one I could find. A square, like this, to conform to make the angles right. You know, the uh, levels to make it orient properly with the world, and a square to make things square, and then, of course, the measure, tape measure, to make things fit correctly. Right? Now, uh, a carpenter will use these tools when he's building something. Uh, Each of them measures against an unchangeable standard. Things that are level are always level. Things that, you know, the measurements are always those same measurements. We can ignore the tools. We can ignore the essential tools that the carpenter uses, thinking that, What they measure is unnecessary and we'll end up with a substandard structure that's crooked, lopsided, and subject to collapse. Here's the point. Whether we use them or not, the criteria they measure are unchangeable, and they're there and they're good, and it's how we do proper building. You can't ignore the laws of physics and geometry and think you're okay. Snubbing the law of gravity could be very dangerous when you jump off a building, doesn't make gravity disappear because you ignore the, the law. It's still there. People say the law has been done away. They're still there. The standard is still there. Neither can we deny that Yahweh has a standard that Yahshua will judge us by. James 2.12, so speak ye and so do as they shall be judged by the law of liberty. We can either ignore the law of liberty saying it was abolished, or we can measure and correct our lives by it and find salvation. Which way do we want to go? How we respond to it doesn't affect the truth. The facts remain. It's us that are out of line with the facts. In order to be considered one of his people, you have to be part of his covenant. And doing so will open the way for a special position in the kingdom, Exodus 19, 5. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me of all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yahweh is building a family, a kingdom of priests to help govern whatever he has in store for us. Who knows? It's going to be phenomenal, I'm sure. And we're going to say, I'm sure glad I was faithful, I'm sure glad I overcame the poles of the world, overcame the criticisms of people, that I stood my ground and I stood fast because that's what it's all about. I'm sure glad I did that back there in 2020. He says, these are the words that you shall speak unto the children of Israel. What all this means is you want to be a part of the, a priestly tribe in the coming kingdom. Keep the covenant. The physical priesthood simply represents a future a spiritual priesthood. So the Ark of the Covenant that Moses was commanded to make is a replica of a heavenly one that Yahweh has, according to Revelation 11:19. So ask yourself, with the original ark preserved in heaven, if that's the way it is, why would the covenant it represents be dissolved? You'd have to it wouldn't be in heaven anymore. you'd know, cast it out. Yahweh gave Israel a covenant that included seven annual feast days. Something monumental was going on. As we will see, these feasts are a part of Yahweh's kingdom. And as spiritual Israel, we are going to be involved in them and keeping them forever. Ostensibly, unless Yahweh happens to change course somehow. We see spiritual Israel be observing them, and so will the whole earth. For the record, the feast days are detailed. And you might want to write this down because sometimes people ask you about them. Uh, Exodus chapters 12 and 23 Leviticus 23 and that's how easy it is to remember 12 and 23 and then Leviticus 23 and Numbers 28 you can find them reviewed there in the Old Testament Exodus 12 is about Israel's observing of the Passover and feast of unleavened bread the Passover in Egypt and the feast in the wilderness after leaving Goshen this was before think about it before the law was codified at Sinai and the feasts were in, in gear, involved, before Sinai, you know. The, the, the old dodge is, well, wow, that's just Moses' law. Moses' law. Moses was the transmitter, but it wasn't Moses who made them up. Yahweh made them up. Even though the scriptures sometimes say Moses' law, but we get the message. It was those laws handed to Moses to hand to us. For an interesting study, sometime exercise. Look how many laws were already in effect before Sinai. And you say that, well, the laws given at Sinai, but they say that, you know, that, was, uh, that was Moses' law. And no, the laws were in vogue and in force from the beginning. From Genesis 1, Yahweh's laws were there. Adam disobeyed Yahweh's command and against eating of the tree of, of uh, knowledge, first commandment. He disobeyed that. And uh, also the 10th commandment against coveting. He coveted that, and he coveted that tree. They ate of it. So they broke the law against coveting. Bearing false witness, Satan did that. So did Eve when she was confronted. uh, Trying to get out of it, that ninth commandment. Dishonoring the father, the father Yahweh, in the 5th commandment. They dishonored him. Of course, Keep on going in Genesis. you got the murder of Abel, the uh, sixth commandment. you got the idolatry at Bethel, of Babel, I mean. Idolatry at Babel in the first commandment. It goes on and on and on. You can find all sorts of laws. If they were not wrong, Yahweh wouldn't have judged them for them. But they broke his laws all throughout, all the way up to Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. When they were codified, they were written down. But they were involved, they were in vogue long before Sinai. What we see here is the beginning of redemption through the Moedim or the appointed observances of Yahweh. It was for the express purpose of holding a feast in the wilderness that Israel was to be released from the captivity of sin of Egypt. That's the symbolism there too as well. It's the feasts that bring us out of this world of sin and draw close to Yahweh. That is the all-important lesson. This is a crucial truth in Yahweh's dealing with his people. The feasts also present an outline of his plan from the first Passover all the way through to the last great day. A plan, a purpose for the whole earth. That's how necessary they are. Each one teaches a lesson in that plan. And that is why the evil one has done his level best to make them disappear in people's minds. To make people who study the word ignore them to make them unnecessary and that's why he has done his best not only to keep people from keeping the biblical ones but also to make them think they're pleasing Yahweh by observing man-made ones with religious overtones pretty slick huh pretty slick the counterfeit that's how the animusile come he'll present a counterfeit he's not going to say i'm doing you know you don't have to do anything he's going to give you a counterfeit and you think that one's right and it over uh, overlooks the, the real counterfeit it's the most effective way so what do we see today we see Sunday worship a counterfeit that replaces Sabbath worship and people think that's right that's the right one the one on December 25th comes to mind of course and the Passover counterfeit commemorated with rabbits and eggs these are the days man thinks memora- uh, memorialize the savior problem is they aren't Yahweh's. They never were. They were man. And millions blindly observe them year after year without ever asking why. Why? What does a jolly fat man have to do with Savior's birth? I mean, it's just simple stuff, you know. Uh, rabbits, first of all, laying eggs. And then what has that got to do with his resurrection? You know, we've got two things going on here. We have the religious side and the pagan side. And they, never, they, they merge them and without even thinking, what am I doing? But the one who has his eyes open that Yahweh is calling, he, he sees, he sees the problem there. And he can't continue going that direction. The feasts identify Yahweh, the one who sanctifies man. But they've unanimously ignored nearly all these things, nearly all religions. These are my feasts, Yahweh says. Observe them. He thunders in his word and the people respond to his command with, Deafening silence. We read another command in Deuteronomy five thirty three, you shall walk in all the ways which Yahweh your Elohim has commanded you, that you may live. It's to your benefit that you may live. Now and you know, I've noticed, and I've shared this with several, people in the truth generally live longer. Yahweh gives them a longer life, he even promises long life if you will obey his commandments. They do, because they have a spiritual nature to them, and it's even healthy for them to have that. You don't get you know, a lot of whack if something goes wrong. You have a, a peace within you, and that helps your body physically. Of course, we know it helps you spiritually as well, but uh, he says that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess, and still no everyone ignores those ways and walks in the ways of the world. It's easier. And, you know, sometimes we say, well, you know, why does that guy who has no use for the word never seems to have problems like I do? Well, he does. He just, you just don't see him. But we're tried even harder because we're the prize. Satan's already got the world. But he's trying for the prize. And so we're tested more. We're tested and we're tried more. But that's because we are being judged now. First resurrection, those that rise in the first resurrection have been judged or they wouldn't be in that resurrection. So we are being judged now. Their judgment will come later, perhaps when Yahweh brings on the second resurrection. Or maybe later in their life. Maybe they will come to it. Praise Yahweh that they will. But uh, whatever he has planned for them, that's why it's so tough now for us because we're being judged right now. We're being tried all sorts of different ways, tempted and tried and pulled one way or the other. we got to remain on that straight path. You know, we have to be like the, uh, the plowman with his eye. You know, how did he make those furrows so straight with a horse or oxen or something? He keeps his eye on the end, on the point, and he drives right toward it. That's what we've got to do, no matter what. Learn not the way of the heathen. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 2.16, Paul tells us that we should not let the unconverted judge us for keeping these days. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Messiah. The body of Messiah what? Well, there's a problem there with the translation. We should have finished the sentence. It just, it's a clause that doesn't really... What he's saying is, but let the body of Messiah judge. Let them determine because they know you're doing something wrong. Hey, that's not what we're supposed to be doing on the high day or something like that. But the body of Messiah, because they have knowledge of the truth, others don't. So others that have no clue, you know, they don't, uh, they don't understand. So what are they, what do they, you know, they have no skin in the game. So why are they making any decisions about you? The seven annual Moedim, our appointed times of Yahweh, are are personal lessons that foreshadow, foreshadow his plan, foreshadow the future. Here's the plan. Passover, when the lamb was slain, the death angel passed over, the firstborn of Egypt died. Yahshua became the Passover lamb in the new covenant. Everything points to Yahshua. Everything. In in my uh, my presentation there, the seminar. I'm going to go into some of that. It's, it's just amazing, the parallels. But everything points to Yahshua. feast of unleavened bread when Israel left Egypt, and when they, uh, when we, we remove sin from our lives, we do the same thing, and when we come out, hypocrisy, wickedness, malice, all these things that leavening represents in that uh, context. So we learn. We learn from the feast of unleavened bread, and of course these feast days that we're doing now—the seventh month, Pentecost, feast of weeks, first fruits—when the law was given at Sinai. The best we can tell, because that's about where they would have been at that time, fifty days later, and when Yahweh's spirit was given in Acts two to the first fruits of many more to come. The assembly could grow. The last four, which uh, we you know we're in. Right uh, in the middle of now, the, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, Day of the Awakening Blast, hel- heralding Yashua's return, and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, depicting the covering, the covering of our sins like the, uh, the cover on the uh, covenant uh, box in the, the Old Testament. So the word Kippur derives from Kippurah. And that's the mercy seat on top of the, uh, the ark. Feast of tabernacles, as we've been saying over and over, the sukkah, the booths, are when Israel dwelt in tents in the wilderness when the harvest of souls takes place and Yahshua sets up his kingdom, also called the Feast of Ingathering. Each of these, the last great day, depicts the great white throne. And maybe even the, uh, when Yahweh brings his, his throne to earth our skeptical friends might be surprised to learn that the early new testament assembly observed the sabbaths of yahweh both weekly and annual today relatively few keep the sabbath and fewer yet keep the annual feast but like i said they just don't know someday they will they'll be taught to them in no uncertain terms in egypt if they don't keep and basically, Egypt is the world. If they don't keep Yahweh's feast, there'll be no rain. What happens when you have no rain? You have no crops. Have no crops, you starve. What does that mean? That means your bodies start getting disease. It just starts with you know one thing, and it goes on and on. They're going to get in line pretty quick. So people say, well, they're Jewish. Others will argue, well, are they? Let's see what the scriptures say. About that. Leviticus 23, 2, Exodus 23, 14. Three times, three seasons shall you keep. That's rhythmic. Rhythmic times. Over and over and over. Shall you keep a feast unto me? Unto me. M E. These are my feasts. These are my feasts. Yahweh didn't say, well, oh, because of your Jews, you need to do this. He says, keep my feasts. Emphasize that. Underline it. He says, everyone is to do this for me. These are these were Israelites, they're not Jews, by the way, there's a difference between that. I guess most people understand that, at least in the truth. Important distinction there. Yahweh asks, who am I? Find out by keeping my feasts, you know, become part of my family by doing the things that I do and the things that I command in my family. To worship itself includes my feasts, Yahweh never commanded anything but the weekly Sabbath and annual feasts as special days. Okay, John 1, 1 John 1, 7 tells us if we walk in the light, all the light we're given, then Yahshua's blood cleanses us from all sin. So he calls, but we actively respond. Passivity doesn't cut it, never has. Going halfway isn't going to do it either. You can't just keep part of the feasts. According to Yahweh's word, you have to go all the way with it. We walk in the light we're given, and Yahshua's blood then cleanses us from our sin. He expects total personal commitment. Several come with their spouses because they love Yahweh. They're standing solid. And that can only be a good witness to their mates. And a wishy-washy attitude reflects a wishy-washy faith. Wishy-washy doesn't cut it. That's lukewarm. That won't work. That's the fence sitter. He tries to have it both ways. Can't do it. <laughs> you just can't do it. You know, uh, it won't hold up to anything when you're when you're that way. And again, we're commanded to come. We're commanded to be glad we're here to rejoice before Yahweh. And we're glad you're here, each one of you. It's a, It's a joy to us. It's something... We here at the office work real hard for, and we are so glad that so many would come to honor Yahweh, and that uplifts our spirit as well. So be prepared to learn, to laugh, to serve, to make new friends, make new connections, make new brethren during this feast. Yahweh's time. Tabernacles 2020. May Yahweh bless you.